You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Good to see everyone, and those of you visiting, welcome to Black Forest Chapel. We're really glad you're here this morning. The election has happened. It's sort of still happening, and we're all still here. So that's a good thing. It's a good start for for the week, right? Uh, Before we jump into our text this morning, uh, I'd like to just acknowledge uh, the veterans in our congregation. Veterans Day is this coming Wednesday, and uh, we have a number of folks who have served our country with valor and with distinction, and, um, and we just want to honor you guys and recognize you. I know, I know that that's uncomfortable for many, but um, I have the microphone right now, so you're going to hopefully capitulate to this. So if you've served in our military and you have protected our country and gave of yourself for the sake of your countrymen, please go ahead and stand. And I know some of you at home um, who can't join us this morning, you've also served. So can we just thank, thank everyone here, please, these men and women. Thank you. Really thankful. Um, I'm going to pray for our veterans and pray for our, our time in God's word, so please join me. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you are a God that provides in every way. Um, you've provided a means, a way of salvation through the blood of your Son on the cross. Without him, without that sacrifice, without the appeasement of your wrath through the blood of the Lamb, um, we have no hope. But because of Christ, we do. And we have great joy knowing that we belong to you. So thank you for providing, Lord. And then you provide in every other way in our life. You are a sovereign God. You are good. You are just. You are holy. You are perfect in every way. And one of the ways that you provide for us here in this room and in this country are you provide men and women who fight, who stand guard. Um, We're so thankful, Lord, for their willingness to step out when others will not and to do things that are difficult, more difficult than many of us have experienced. And, and many of uh, our brothers and sisters in arms have not come home, or if they have, they've come home in various ways, injured, and their quality of life has changed. And so many things we can't understand unless we've been there. And so thank you, Lord, for providing these men and women and that they've served um, our country with honor, they've served you. And Father, I'm thankful just, just for their general heart's Um, as it comes to service, because the men and women who have served in the military, who now serve in this church, they are people that we can count on. There are people that show up who do what they say they're going to do. They have an ethic, and they've been trained, and they have a heart for others, which is obvious in their service to the country. So thank you that they now serve you and serve this church and serve me and all of those who sit in these chairs, Lord. We're so thankful for them. Bless them today, Lord. Encourage their hearts. And Father, we pray that you would encourage all of us this morning through your word. Uh, We need you, Lord. We need to hear truth. We need to have our minds renewed, to have perspective that can't come from anywhere but you, Father. Help us this morning. Help me to communicate your word to your people. May we receive, Father, with faith, and may we obey, Lord, in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to Exodus chapter 12. We're going to finish up chapter 12 this morning. Um, we've been journeying through the entire book of Exodus. We've seen uh, the God of Israel um, make promises to his people early on. He made promises to, to Abraham first um, back in Genesis, and then he has restated these promises, his covenant promise to Isaac and to Jacob, his, his family, and then ultimately to all of Israel. But God's timing is always different than ours, right? The way he does things, the way uh, the timing that he does those things is not something that we would choose, but it's something that God does because he's infinitely wise. He's eternal. He's the great I am. He's self-existent. He's self-sufficient, right? He, He was not created, but he's created everything. And so we have been looking at the doctrine of God that we can trust him and only him. He's the only one who's perfect. He's the only one deserving of our praise and our glory, 
And so when anything comes our way, when any difficulties arise, we can trust the living God who's created everything, who's in control of everything. And so we're going to be talking a little bit, once again, kind of a reminder of God's sovereignty, who's really in control. And you might say, haven't we already talked about this, right? I, I, it's like a cliche now, God's in control, and there's songs, and there's bookmarks, and there's bumper stickers, and yeah, 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 that's fine. But until we get this, until it, until it really gets into our hearts, and we live in light of his control, of his sovereignty, then what happens? We, we try to take control, right? We think that we're in control. We think that others are in control. When other people are doing things that we don't like, we put all the power in their hands, and we get discouraged, right? We, we lose faith, because we're looking at the wrong person. If we look at God, we know that he works out all things for good, right? All things. Even if someone else means something for evil, God meant it for good. We look at the life of Joseph. Joseph was able to say that. Look at his terrible, terrible life. We walked through that whole story in Genesis 37 through 50. This horrific, and, he, and honestly, I mean, he was a sinner, but innocently he just was being carried along by the will of God, by the acts of evil men, his brothers and, and other people. And yet at the end of it, God had a purpose and a plan for it that no one could see. And Israel has been in captivity for over 400 years. God made a promise to them, where's God? Right? They've gone through generation after generation of bitter, hard service and slavery, and they're crying out in their pain and their anguish and the ruthless service that they have to give to the Egyptians. Wouldn't we say that's unfair? That's unkind? That's, God, why are you allowing this? But in God's perfect timing, he, he rose a deliverer to save them, Moses. His, his, he, he heard them, right? He saw them, he knew, and now it was time. And so this is the great deliverance. And before he, he, he had the people of Israel leave Egypt, he was also going to punish the gods of Egypt and Pharaoh himself and all the Egyptians who have sinned against him, who have rebelled against him. And so we've walked through all of these plagues, which were all really a, a war, a battle against all the gods of Egypt. And, and the God of Israel won, every one of them. Nothing can stop him. Nothing can thwart him, right? And so the... The key that we want to remember here is that when God purposes something, when he plans something in the counsel of his will, the triune God from before the foundations of the earth, when he purposes something, right, and then he promises something, so he purposes it and then he tells us, he reveals it to us in scripture, he told Abraham this is what's going to take place, right, he told the people this is what's going to happen, so he purposes it and he promises it, he makes a promise and he puts himself on the line, right, he always executes what he's going to do in exactly the way that he's going to do it. He says, this is how it's going to happen, and it happens that way. And he accomplishes his goal every time. He accomplishes his will every time without fail. And just as Israel was the benefactor of God's purposes and his promises and his execution of those promises, his accomplishment, we are the benefactors of God's promises in Christ. If we believe in Jesus, we're saved. If we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised them from the dead, you will be saved. But you can't be saved apart from the blood of Christ. And we looked at that last week. The blood of the Lamb is what, is what saved them, was what saved Israel. And so last week we looked at the Passover and, and, and in God's perfect plan from the beginning of time, he knew what he was going to do. And so he told his people, this is exactly what you need to do. Take a lamb, Right, a perfect lamb without blemish, one year old, a male, on the 10th day of this month, and this is a new month for you, it's going to be a new calendar for you, you're going to remember that, I want you to remember, why, because we're forgetful, we forget, as soon as, as soon as Israel gets in the desert, they start grumbling, they forgot who saved them, they forgot what they were being saved from, right, many of us do the same thing, who's the real savior here, who's really God, if we forget, we start to point to ourselves and other people, and that's not right. And so he wanted everyone to remember. So he took, take this lamb and bring it in your house. And on the, on the 14th day of the month, you're going to slaughter the lamb, one per household. And you're going to take that blood and you're going to sprinkle it on the doorpost and on the lintel. Right? And then you're going to stay in the home and you're going to roast the lamb and you're going to eat together and there's going to be no leftovers. And you're going to eat it with bitter herbs to remember this bitter, harsh service that you've been in. I want you to remember what I've saved you from. Right? And you're going to eat it with unleavened bread. You're going to remove the leaven from your house. This is going to be the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's going to last seven days. Why, why are we remembering all these things? Why do we have to take leaven out of our bread? It doesn't taste as good. I like fluffy muffins. I don't like flat things, right? 
I like things that taste good. Not this, not these Frisbees and, right? Why, Lord, are you doing this? I want you to remember how I quickly, how we were thrust out of Egypt, right? It was 400 years of just horrible, bitter slavery, and then boom, you're out. Because I said that that's what they would do. So there was two purposes in the 11, to remind them of how they were brought out of Egypt, but also to remind them that they are to remove the leaven from their lives. Leaven was, was largely connected with sin in the Bible throughout, even through the New Testament, not exclusively, but largely. And so if they were gonna walk as a new people, they were, they were to live in light of God's commands. So, so remove this sin, live differently. You belong to me. And so this is for them to remember. Why? Because we're forgetful people. We forget things all the time, right? We do the same thing over and over again and make the same mistakes. I remember as, uh, in junior high, I remember when you're in, my brain was not fully developed at that time, so have some grace with this, with this story, um, based on science, I suppose, right? My, so we were, my, my friends and I, a couple friends, we, we were products of the 80s and 90s and action movies and good versus evil and, you know, the, the righteous retribution of evil deeds. And so we, we lived that ethic. We, would, we, would, uh, we played a lot of paintball. We were in the woods a lot. We, we trained for some reason just in case something would happen, right? So we would get like pillowcases from our house and fill them with dirt and sand and make heavy bags in the woods and, and stick fighting and all that stuff. So we were, we were training for something to happen and and uh, we were really good at it, so if anything, we would have protected our neighborhood. <clears throat> and so one day, there was, there was these cars in the wintertime, they would speed down the hill, and you know, neighbors would complain about it, and they would speed a lot, and then they would run the stop sign and run through, and there's always, there's a park nearby, and people were crossing the road, and so no one was doing anything about it as far as we knew, so we were going to take matters in their own hands as junior hires, so we would, there was a, there was a hillside, so we would make a lot of snowballs, and, and we had them all lined up, and then we would put um, a lot of brush with all the, the thorns in it. On, on the hillside and then cover with snow. So if someone tried to chase us, they would be caught up in that. And we were really smart. It was, we were amazing. We, our, our tricks were awesome. They really were. I thought they were. I don't know. Um, so, and then this, you know, the car would come by and we'd whip it with snowballs and got one right in the sunroof. And that was, that was like an extra 10 points. And we, we were having a great time. And, and then uh, one guy decided to stop and chase us and yell at us, and then they couldn't get up the hill, so we thought we had won. But little did we realize, since it was wintertime and there was snow, they, we literally didn't, didn't cover our tracks. And so when the police arrived, they followed the tracks right to our door, and I was hiding in the garage looking out the window, and the police officer came down and talked to my mom, and she was looking around, and then my dad wasn't home, thankfully, at that time. And... and uh, we had a conversation about that, how that was not good, and I was not to do that ever again. I'm like, okay, I, good conversation. So, and then you know, a few months go by. Now it's springtime, and some other kids were messing around. They they actually found our little fort in the woods, and they destroyed it. And they were neighbor kids. We knew who they were because there's not that many kids in the neighborhood. So they destroyed it. So we thought, well, this is this is good time to to provide. This is war. Yes, that's exactly what it was. Rachel knows. She's been. Um, so as, you know, as a forgetful young man who thinks that, well, that, that other thing was in the past or I probably even forgot it happened, we, we grabbed all of our firecrackers, as many as we could, so black cats, M80s, and we just wrapped them all up with, with um, electrical tape and made a nice long fuse. And, and the kids were down at the park. They were practicing tennis and basketball, the kids that did this. And uh, we crawled around, and we, we actually made our own Geely suits, like the marine sniper suits out of like the shredded burlap. We made those ourselves. That's the first time and only time I've been in Joanne Fabrics was just for that purpose. <laughs> we made it, and we crawled around, and we, we put the, the firecrackers kind of near, and then we also had paintball guns, and we, didn't, we weren't firing paintballs at them, but the CO2 blasts were just enough to... And then we were decked out in all of our garb, and so we, we took three sides of the, of the park, and then we lit it, and then we just stood there as if we were really firing on them. I know in today's world, we would, I wouldn't even be here. I'd be, I'd be some prison somewhere. But back then, you could do stuff like that, and we, we did it. We thought it was hilarious. They went running and screaming, and, and I, we, we packed up all our gear and high-fived, and as I walked back to my house, there was a police car at our house again. So... And, I'll, and just so you know, I, I don't have a record or anything. This was, these, were, these gentlemen were doing their job, and they, they were very kind. 
So, and if that wasn't, I mean, if that didn't remind me enough, it was my father's look that night, I think that, that that's enough, right? Didn't have to say much, just uh, enough. So that looked to me, now I remember my dad's face and I would never do something like that again, or at least plan it better so that I wouldn't have a, a visit, right? But we do the same things. We always forget, right? God saves us for something. We spend a lot of time in prayer. Um, you know, maybe there's a sickness, an illness, there's something at work, there's something that's taking place and, and we, we feel like we're being affronted and, and this is not fair and where, where are you, Lord? And, and then we pray, we actually finally relent and we stop being frustrated and angry and we actually pray and we say, Lord, please help me with this. Please, please help me understand or please help me be content or please help me be at peace please take care of this situation. And then maybe I actually even pray for the person who's wronged me. That's a big step. And I pray for that person and I forgive them in my heart for real, right? And I start praying for them and, and then God does something. He, he brings peace. And, and I'm, I remember because I'm praying for this person who's lost, I remember that I used to be lost. I didn't know what I was doing. That I did evil things. That I did things in the dark. That I did things that were sinful. That I hurt other people why? Because I was a sinner. I didn't, I didn't have the Lord. I had, I had no direction. And so now my heart has a heart of compassion. I'm becoming more like Christ. Why? Because I've relented. I've, I've, I've given myself to him. I've repented of my sin. I've got down on my knees and I actually asked the Lord who could actually do something about it. And he does. And there's, there, maybe there's reconciliation. Maybe there's not. But at least there's peace and I can move forward. And, and maybe there's a change in relationship. Maybe there's an open door now to share the gospel. I don't know. And then a month later, that person does the same thing all over again, or, or something else happens, and I'm right back to where I was. Well, this is unfair. This is wrong. This person needs to pay for it. I can't believe they did this. And then I'm like, oh, yes, Lord. Right? We're so quick to forget. We're so quick to forget. And so God has instituted a memorial, a way for his people to remember. This is for their benefit. And so the Passover is for their benefit to remember. And then last week we talked about the Lord's Supper, how he took the Passover during his time with the disciples on the night he was going to be betrayed, the eve of his crucifixion. And he, he, he instituted his supper. He, he claimed the Passover for himself. Right? He took the bread. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is, the, this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. That ultimately he was going to be the perfect lamb, the final sacrifice for sin. He's without blemish. He's perfect in every way. He's without sin. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And now as his people, last week we celebrated the Lord's Supper together, that he has made a family. He has made a way through the cross, through his blood. It's only by his blood that we can be saved. We are sinners. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. It requires someone to die. And so in the Passover, God made a way. He was bringing death to the firstborn of all of Egypt. And if he saw the blood, the destroyer, God himself, if he saw the blood over the door, he would pass over that house. And they were saved because someone had died in the place of the firstborn. That was the foreshadow of the type of Christ to come. Everyone in Egypt had a home where someone died. They were not covered. The wrath of God was not appeased. And so God wants them to remember. And so there's some, there's some re repetition going on here. You might say, okay, Lord, I get it. Yes, the bread and the Passover, you've said it how many times? No, this is, you need to remember this. Just like we need to remember what Christ has done on the cross for us. We can't forget. It changes how we live. It changes how we speak. It changes how we go about every day of our life. And so if you're not in the word, if you're not remembering then you walk, what, without peace, frustrated, angry, like the world. And so God has, has done these things. He's put this institution in place. And we see that he has engaged in the, the last plague, the death of the firstborn. And that's where we pick up here in Exodus chapter 12. We'll start in verse 31 and read through the section. It says, then he summoned, so Pharaoh, after the great cry in all of Egypt, then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. I want to just stop there for a moment. Um, this is important. We don't want to skip over this. You have to remember 
kind of this entire battle, and if you haven't read the full context, you need to, how Pharaoh was completely opposing God the entire time. He would not let his people go, no matter what he did. Pharaoh was hardening his own heart. God was hardening Pharaoh's heart for his purposes. And we've talked about that already, right? And so Pharaoh set himself up. He believed he was the incarnation of the sun god, Ra. He was the one in power. He was the one in authority. You can't do whatever you want here. I'm in charge of Egypt. And so even when the plagues were coming, one by one, what did Pharaoh say? Okay, you can go, but you, you can't take these people with you. Or you can go, but you can only go that far, and you've got to come back. And you can go, but you can't take... He was putting conditions. He was trying to negotiate with God. And God doesn't negotiate with anyone, right? He does not negotiate with sinful man. He commands his creation because he's perfect and he is the only one who is holy. And so Pharaoh kept setting himself over and over again to the point where he even told Moses, if you see my face again, I'm gonna kill you. You're gonna die, right? And what does he do? He calls Moses into his presence and Moses doesn't die and Pharaoh is relenting. Up, just go, just leave, right? Go and serve the Lord as you have said. Not on his conditions. The negotiations are over. He's lost terribly. And he says at the end, and bless me also. Isn't that the way it is? This is not a repentant statement by Pharaoh. He does not repent of his sin. He does not. There's a difference between repentance and turning to God and just relenting and God moving you out of the way, right? There's a difference between repentance and just relenting. And this is what's taking place. He's just relenting. And, and those who don't want to repent, they still want the blessing though, right? Please, please bless me also. They want the blessings of God, but nothing else to do with him. That's pretty typical. And this is important for us because everything that God's promised in delivering his people out of Egypt and how he was going to do it, even the point that they were going to take great possession with them has been promised to them from the beginning. He told Abraham this. And even told them, they're going to leave with great possession. Every, the, the details of how he was going to do it was told ahead of time. And then when he, when, he, when he told Pharaoh, this is what's going to take place. Let my firstborn son go or I'm going to kill your firstborn son. He did that. Everything he said with the plagues that he was going to do, he did it exactly as he was going to do it. Every promise of God was fulfilled in the Exodus as God's people are leaving. Every promise. Now he's taking them to the promised land, taking them to this place. They can believe that. They can trust that because everything that God said he was going to do, he did. We have to hold on to that in light of everything that's taking place in the world around us. As, as Derek was talking about it, <laughs> the promises of God for God's people, his plans and his purposes are not contingent upon who's in the White House. That's actually part of his plan. He is sovereign. He, is in, he has the, the power and the right to do whatever he pleases. That's what sovereignty is. And because he's good, everything that he does is good and for our good. Do you think that the Egyptians thought that over the course of 400 years that anything was good from that? That anything good came out of that? Look at Joseph's life. Did anything good come out of his captivity? God used it as a training ground. He was going to make him second in command in Egypt for the salvation of these 70 Hebrews who were going to be coming over from Hebron. He got a chance to learn the language. He got a chance to trust God, to learn how to serve, to use his administration gifts and his skills and to the point where he was, he was ready to be in charge. God had a purpose for all of it. He had a plan for all of it. And so regardless of where you, which side of the aisle you sit on, and I'll I have to be careful with how I communicate all this. Um, but regardless of who you, know, you voted for, if you're, if you're happy this morning, if you're not happy this morning about things, there's still uncertainty floating around about how this is going to work out. Right? Regardless of all of those things, we have to remember that ultimately everyone will bow before the Lord. Ultimately, he's the one in control of everything. And so there might be people in positions of authority or power in our government and in our world who can make our lives a little less comfortable, a little more comfortable. They can take things from us. They can give things to us, right? They can, they can do some of those things, but our hope, our happiness, our salvation is not found in any of those people, ever. When Paul, standing in the midst of the Oropagus, and he was talking to the men of Athens in Acts 17, he says in verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, 
being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So people might try to, you know, govern us in such a way because they think that they need to clean the air better. They need to do this for us. They need to protect us from this. They need to protect us from ourselves. They might think they know what's best for us, but God's the one that gives us breath and life and everything. And he made, he made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Now if we are tuned in to the various news stations and channels and news feeds 24-7, as many of us have, and I admit, I had to shut it off on Friday. And then I kept thinking, okay, I'm better now. I'll go back and watch some more. And after about 30 seconds, nope, not, I can't do it. And I had to just leave, right? I just, it's so difficult to watch and to see. But I was, in a sense, putting all of my hope in what I was going to see on the screen, as if some sinful man had solved all the problems suddenly, and now I can rest, right? Versus coming to God's word and saying, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. I really have no idea. And I'm not happy about this or that. And I think this is going to be terrible. And what about the riding in the streets and the COVID stuff keeps happening and all this divide and all this polarization and all these problems, Lord, I don't know if I can take anymore. It's really, it, it, this wells up in you, right? And then I opened God's word and <laughs> um, you don't need to turn there, but just uh, read Psalm 23. And it's funny, you re- we memorize these scriptures, we, we know them, right? I know them. Right? But then we read it in a state of dependence and humility. Lord, I can't, I can't breathe, I can't figure this out, I don't know what's going to happen, and what about this, and what about... And then I read and it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. There's just, you can breathe, right? I'm not actually by a stream, but the imagery is beautiful and it's true. He leads me beside still waters. And I've, suddenly it was, it, was a, it was the Holy Spirit in my heart and I was just, I was in this sense of just contentment and peace and I had some tears just at the beauty of what God has done. He leads me in path of righteousness, what, for his name's sake. And then I'm reminded, this is about him. This isn't about if my, if my property taxes are going to go up or down and the, the cost of gasoline. And Has God ever not provided for his children? Never. We might feel inconvenienced and sense of discomfort, and we have to take this all back to the Lord again and again. We do our part. We advocate. We vote. We, we have our voice, Right? There's a legal system in place and we pray for our justices to to help sort all of this out and we pray for our our, our president and we pray for whoever's going to be president and we pray for our governor. We we need to pray for these things and then have peace that that they, God's in control of all of this. And it's not a cliche. He is. You have to believe that. You have to trust him that he knows what's best for you. Yeah, Lord, but what what if I lose some, you know, what if I lose my retirement? What if I lose this and what if, what if this takes place? These are opportunities for us to pray to the Lord and ask for his help. These are opportunities for us to go out and witness because the world's divided and a lot of people are without hope. No matter what side you're on, no matter what happens this year or in four more years or in four more years, someone's not going to be happy, right? There's going to be arguments around the, the Thanksgiving table. There's going to be arguments in the neighborhoods. There's going to be different banners on different yards. This hasn't changed. Sinful man hasn't changed. And the only way we can be saved is by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. And that's the message we have to give to the world. And when we're talking to our neighbors and they're, they're gritting their teeth or they're joyous about this or they hate this person and they can't believe that person and all this stuff is against me. I can't believe all this stuff is against us and there's liars and there's cheaters on both sides. And like, what can we do about that? Well, what could the Israelites do? They cried out to God. They said, God, help us. And God saved them. Do you think they had any hope that Pharaoh would change his mind, that he would soften the blow a little? You know what? I've been wrong. I've been 
giving these public addresses. I, I, I made you guys do, I, I made you do all this mortar and brick, and I made you get more straw, and I'm really sorry about that, and I'm going to take that back, and actually, I, we got some new lawn chairs for you guys. I want you to, we're, we're going we're gonna to get some, some drink service out here so you guys can relax in the afternoon, and don't worry about building the pyramids, don't worry about the extra storehouses, and it's fine. You know, is he going to just relent? All, is he going to just change his mind about it? No, he wasn't. He made it worse and worse and worse. And all he did was incur the wrath of God. And so there are always going to be pharaohs. Always. That's part of God's plan. And there are always going to be those who follow. Look at what Pharaoh did. He, went, he tried to, to kill Israel. In a, he devised schemes, right? He wanted to use the midwives to kill the firstborns, and that didn't work out. So then he got more blatant. He went more public, right? He got in his Facebook and his Twitter feed, and he started to get in. Let's get the word out. Let's kill all these. Let's throw them in the Nile, right? Let's do this. I'm Pharaoh. I can do whatever I want. He got bold with his depravity. And all God did was turn it all on his head. He used all of his own gods, all of his own devices against himself. And Pharaoh was defeated. And we'll see this happen again and again and again in the scriptures. And ultimately, God's the one who saves. God's the one who gets glory. And so it's not that there's nothing for us to do, but the first thing for us to do is to trust him, to pray to him, to come to him. And so go back in, in, in the story of Genesis and Exodus and look at all the promises God made and how he fulfilled them all perfectly with the Exodus. Everything that happened, God said would happen. He executed perfectly in his own timing. And if you, uh, let's, let's read the next section here. Verse 33. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. This is exactly how God said it was going to happen. That's why the Passover was what? Eaten in a hurry. Don't leaven the bread. Don't let it rise. Put your belt buckle on. Get your sandals on. Get your staff. Get ready. This is what's going to... He, know, he knows. Every little detail. For they say, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls, and bound them up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. God said this was going to happen on multiple occasions, just like this. Are we still amazed that he does everything he says he's going to do? And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, and we, we think that's probably, there's different variations in how far that might be, whether it's eight miles or longer. But ultimately it was, it was a short distance about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. And so estimations would be upwards of 2 to 2.4 million Israelites leaving all at the same time. Have you ever tried to get out of a football stadium right at the end of the... I mean, it's, you might as well just sit there and wait till the next game, right? There's, you're not going anywhere. Can you imagine this, this multitude leaving? And, not, and the Bible says in one of the Psalms, Psalms 105, I think, that, that not one of them faltered. Not one of them faltered. And a mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock. And the mixed multitude was, it could have been a number of different types of people. We know that during the, the plague of the hail, God provided a way for them to be saved. If they would listen to God, then they, they would be saved from that plague. And so he was, he was showing his grace and his mercy for those who would believe in him, even from the Egyptians. And there were probably other people there doing, having commerce and people that were curious and there were probably prisoners from other countries. And we don't know exactly what this multitude was, but they went with the Israelites, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went up out of the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord, to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So the same night is a night of watching kept by, to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. This is key because God not only fulfill his, fulfills his promises, but he watches over his people. I love this section. It was a night of watching by the Lord. It was a vigil of the Lord. He was watching all of, all of his, his people leaving. So not one of their feet faltered, right? 
Hey, hey Moses, Gershon left something back in the back in the cave. Where you, right, when do you when do you go grab that out of the house? And right, he's he's making sure they have everything they need. Make sure you take your. He was watching all of them. He cared about each an individual one of them, and he knew who they were and and all of their stories and all of their fears. And yet he kept watch over them as they left. He made sure that his plan was fulfilled completely. That it was accomplished exactly as he said it would. So he watched over them. It's a beautiful picture to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So the same night is a night of watching kept the Lord by all the people. So just as God watched over Israel, and just as God watched over us, those who are called by his name, that he has saved us by the blood of Christ, he, he watches over us, he cares for us, right? He doesn't just leave us to the wolves. He cares about each one of our lives. Have you ever, I, I don't know if, this is like kind of a personal thing with the Lord, so maybe you've experienced this, but have you ever been just doing something in your house or at work or taking a walk? Have you ever just stopped to picture and imagine and think about the fact that the, the God of the universe, the creator God, the one who inhabits eternity, is with you right then? That he's actually with you. That he's watching you walk up the stairs and he's watching you. Like he's, he's with you. And not, and not as some like taskmaster with the, with the clipboard that some of us think he is. He has, he has rules, he has statutes, he has things for us to obey for our good, and he disciplines us as a good father, 100%. But that he's, he actually cares about everything that you're doing in every part of your day. It's amazing. And to think that he watched over this was amazing. And he's watching over this church, and he wants us to, to bring him glory through our acts of kindness and service and love for one another, being disciples of, of his son, Jesus Christ, being conformed in the likeness of Jesus. He wants us to do that, and he's watching all of that, and he's helping us through that if we would just turn to him and ask for help. And so that night would be a, um, a night of watching kept by the, uh, to the Lord by all the people, and that's the institution of the Passover. And so Israelites are called out of Egypt as God promised, as we saw in the first section, in the second section here, they're called out of Egypt to remember the Passover and walk as his people, to remember and to walk. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, verse 43, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave or every servant that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised them. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house and you shall not break any of its bones. And this is really a part of the messianic prophecy about Jesus' bones. None of his bones would be broken. And we see that in John 19 when the, um, when the crucifixion was taking place and, and Jesus had, had died. They, they asked um, that the Romans would actually break the legs of the others who were hanging on the crosses so that just in case they were still alive, they, they wouldn't be able to hold themselves up anymore. They would essentially just suffocate and, and, and it would be over. And when they saw that Jesus had, not, had already died, they did not break his legs, as Scripture said. Instead, they pierced his side. And so this, they're not to break any bones of the lamb. God was already foreshadowing what was going to be happening to Christ. It shall be eaten in one house, and you shall not break any of its bones. Verse 47, all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. All the congregation. This is for all of God's people. God wants us to be together moving forward, on the same page, Right? Not just a few of us, not just those of us who, who are a little more spiritually mature than others or hold certain titles or offices in the church or whatever. This is for everyone. We should be doing this together. And for those of us who think that church is an option, it's just, if, if, if it's convenient for me, if it's something, if I don't have anything else to do, whether it's a Bible study that you've committed to, whether it's a Sunday morning worship service, whatever it might be, if I have something better to do, if something else takes priority, then that goes off the list. How are you supposed to remember with God's people? How are you supposed to walk in unity? How are we supposed to be together on mission if we're not together? We can't do it. And it's not just about obligation for obligation's sake. It's about discipline for the sake of our spiritual growth. We can't grow unless we're together. We can't grow unless we're in the word. We can't grow unless we're serving other people. This is how God has planned for us to work. And so the live Satan will be, you don't matter. It doesn't matter if you show up. No one's going no to miss you, right? No one even likes what you do. You do it wrong, right? We, we get all the lies in our head. and like, well, yeah, you're right. I'm not going to, why bother going to Sunday? Actually, it'll be a gift to the church if I don't show up, right? If I'm not there, then things will go so much better. And, so much, and then you have, a, you have a terrible day. You have a terrible week. 
You begin to believe the lies of the world, and then you just add additional bitterness to your heart. And now you start accusing people in the church. You didn't even show up, but now they're the, they're the, it's their fault, right, that I didn't show up. Well, if they really liked me, if they, if they would invite me out to dinner, if they would give me a call and invite me out to coffee, maybe, maybe I would, I, would, I would like to go to church more often. But nobody wants to do that. Nobody, how about you walk up to someone and say, hey, I'd, 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 I'd like to go out to coffee sometime, or can I join that study, or can I just talk to you about what's going on in my life, or anything to pursue the Lord and to pursue growth. But instead, if you take that step of disobedience outside of God's plan, it will impact you you'll begin to believe lies and not the truth. And so just be cautious about that. God instituted this for all the congregation of Israel shall keep it, just as all the church shall keep the Lord's Supper. As often as we meet, we are to proclaim the Lord's death, to remember that his body was broken for us, his blood was poured out for us, and that his Holy Spirit is, is the one that gives us, he's the one that gives us power to do the work of the ministry. He's the one that gives us gifts. It's not about how good you think you are at something or how bad you, he gives you gifts. You step out in faith and God lets you use your gift and you, have, you experience great joy because God's doing something. You can't believe he used you. I can't believe God did that through me and I wanna, I wanna see him do that again, right? And we see a change and we see growth and we see a church and we see a mission and we go out to the community and we see God doing stuff because we're used to stepping out in faith, not sitting at home grumbling. It's amazing how, how things start with something that small, right? That, that's, that, that little decision on a Sunday morning, that little decision on a Tuesday evening, that little decision that we make that, eh, I don't really feel like it today, or eh, they're not going to miss me. It can, it can change everything. So we need to be in God's word to remember. Because if we don't, then, then we allow the powers of this world to dictate who we are and what we do. And coming back to this whole, what's going on in our country right now and how much it's impacting each one of us and our hearts and how we think and how we talk and all these things. Um, if you are not in God's word and you don't remember what he's done, if you don't look at his promises and see how he's fulfilled them, look at the promises that are yet to come. If you don't believe in those things, then you're gonna believe that other people are really in control. And I, I wrote something, I'm gonna read it verbatim just so I get it right here, but um, this just, it's, it's nothing profound. It just struck me as truth as I was reading all of this and thinking about Pharaoh and all the Pharaohs. And it says, even the most hardened of heart, those who rebel against God, those who refuse to see and accept truth, those whom God hardens for his purposes, those who rule and oppress and hurt others with their power, they will eventually and ultimately be judged and all of their wealth and possessions and power will come to nothing. You have, to, you have to remember that. You have to remember who's really in control. Who is the ruler of the world? Do you live and move and have your being from your president, from your governor, from your city council? Or is it God who gives breath and life to everything? Who is it? So what can I do? We've already talked about a few applications, but what can, what can I do? I've, I've, I've done everything and... and what else can I do in the midst of world powers and corruption and darkness and blatant rebellion against God and his people, persecutions, every kind of depravity, sinful inclinations? What can, what can little, little, little me, what, what can I do in my little part of the world, right? What can I do? You can remember. You can be in God's word. You can stand on the promises of God. Well, Mike, it seems like all your applications are go to God's word and pray right? Yes, that's, that's all of them. So any, anytime you walk in here and you start taking notes for the, just go to the last page of your notes and just write, read the word of God, right? And pray. And then I'll save you a little bit of time toward the end. But that's pretty much, I don't know what else, what else is there to do? Because there's no one else that I can rely on. There's no one else that we can fully trust. There's no one else who's perfect that deserves glory. So we need to remember. We need to be renewed in our mind about who God is. We remember through the worship of the word, through worshiping God through song. We remember through serving others as part of our worship, right? I, I started typing out a whole list of God's promises for us to walk in light of, and you just it'll never end. There's just so many promises in scripture. So if you would just be in God's word, and if you can't do this on your own, it's because largely you were not meant to do it on your own, 
Right? Part of our devotion is personal. Part of our devotion is in, in our prayer closet, in our, in our time with the Lord as we walk and talk with him. Yes, and we need to read God's word on our own. Yes, but not exclusively. We need to then sit across from someone and say, this is what God's teaching me. What, what is he teaching you? It's, it's unbelievable how much I am encouraged, even as I've read something already and I talk to someone else about what I've read, how I learn new things, how God imprints it on my heart. It changes me. And then maybe I'm part of a study or a life group or, or something else, and I'm hearing other people's stories, and I'm getting perspective. I'm not the only one. I thought I was completely by myself in this whole room of people. I'm the only one dealing with this problem. That's the lie from Satan, and that's what you, you'll believe it if you don't talk to people, if you're not around other people, if you're not serving others, you'll believe it. And so you've got to read God's word on your own and with other people. Some other scripture. Isaiah 26.3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Would you like perfect peace? God has a promise. If if our mind is stayed on him, how is our mind stayed on him? Well, he's revealed himself to us in the scriptures. So we read. Oh, I remember that's who God is. I remember he's the one who's faithful. He's the one that's saved. I didn't save myself. I remember that he's not looking for me to work for him and to work, out, work for my salvation, but to work out my salvation, right? By following his, his precepts, by following his, his law, which is good for my heart. So I'm supposed to be this person because God's called me to be this person. Just as God said, no uncircumcised person will take part of his Passover. Why? They don't belong to him. They're not his people. But if someone were to be circumcised, ultimately be cut off from the world to to come into God's people, to believe in God, that he would accept them. They can partake in the Passover. They can remember. Whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusted you. We can trust him because of what he says in the scriptures. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Fear not. He's with us. He's the God of the... Why... Israel just saw all of these amazing things happen. All these plagues take place, right? And then later on in in chapter 14 in Exodus, the people were starting to fear again. Why? Because he's he's coming after them again. This is the last round. And what is, uh, and Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Amazing. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that Jesus said in John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. If that's a breaking news story, I'm sorry, but most of the New Testament shows that you will have problems and trials and tribulation. There will be, if you follow Christ, you will have trouble. But take heart, Jesus said, I've overcome the world. His spirit lives in you if you belong to him. And so you can walk in the middle of that storm, in the middle of that battle, and have complete, perfect peace. There's so many. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God's peace will guard your hearts and your minds. I, I experienced that just the other day. And then what was my inclination on the next day then? I experienced that on Friday. What was my first inclination on Saturday? I want to turn the news back on. Surely I can handle it now, right? Nope. Where's my, where's my Bible, Lord, right? God's sovereignty is not meant for us to balk at or to have this lofty theological doctrine that we don't understand. It's for our peace that he's the one truly in control. I'm going to end this morning from Revelation. If you, got, if you haven't read Revelation lately, I know we get bogged down in the symbolism and it's too, it's too much for me and I don't understand it and all these things. Just go to chapter 20 and read to the end and just, if, if it helps you a little bit, there's, there's all these amazing, this is what, this is the end. Ultimately, Jesus wins. That's what the book's about. He's already won, right? God does not just serve four terms and he's out. He serves eternally. He's the perpetual incumbent. No one can beat him, right? There's no amount of campaign money or spear campaigns that can stop the living God from doing what he does, from ruling the universe forever. He will never lose. And we've already won in Jesus Christ. 
We have nothing to fear. This is what we have to look forward to. Don't worry about property taxes. Don't worry about 401k. Don't worry about all that stuff. If, if, you, if, you're, if you're constantly on your computer looking at the market and doing all these things, have the Bible next to you and then go look at chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. What does that mean? My vacation home is gone, Lord? I, I spent a lot of years working on that. What? And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. The promise for God's people, the promise for those who do not belong to God, it's all in here. Read it, be encouraged by it. Think about it. Let, it, let it soak in a little bit. Get some perspective here about where we're going and who we are. And by doing that, as we stay our mind on Christ, we will have peace in this world, even in the midst of all the chaos around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. Thank you for encouragement. Thank you that you lift us up, Lord, when we feel like we're sinking. You set us on the rock. You give us sound footing. Thank you that you lead us beside still waters. You desire to restore us in yourself, not in anything else in this world. Nothing else can suffice. Nothing is sufficient. Nothing will give us rest like you and your Holy Spirit. So thank you for that, Lord. Help us. We are completely inadequate and unable in ourselves, but we bow before you this morning humbly and ask for help. Help our hearts, protect us, guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Give us peace and help us to be people not just who sit now in peace, but who sit peacefully in prayer, confident, Lord, as we speak that your will is being done in this world and that we can be partners in what you're doing. Help us to know what is our part, what's next for us to do. May we rely on you for all these things. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.